listening to Local Bites, the podcast of Local Futures. In this series, we feature critical voices and inspiring examples from the global movement to resist the power of giant corporations and to renew ecological, social, and spiritual well-being by shifting towards local economies. I'm Sean Keller. Today we're talking with Jakob Rosk, who was involved in setting up the Copenhagen Food Co-op. This co-op is a member-owned alternative to mainstream grocery stores, which allows people to not only have regular access to fresh local food, but also to make decisions about what foods the co-op purchases and how the co-op is run. The Copenhagen Food Co-op is an excellent example of direct marketing between local farmers and urban consumers, and even more importantly, it's a great model for the kind of short food supply chains that we need in our post-COVID-19 world. In the interview you are about to hear, which was recorded before the onset of the pandemic, Jakob offers his thoughts on what has made the Copenhagen Food Co-op so successful and the foundational principles that have helped it stay the course. Speaking with Jakob is Anja Lungbeck, Local Futures Associate Programs Director and incidentally a fellow Dane. I'm here today uh, to pick the brains of Jakob Rask from Copenhagen. Um, Jakob Rask has been part of, of a group of people that started a food co-op known as uh, Copenhagen's Fødevarefællesskab. How did you get inspired to start this food co-op? The kind of seed for the co-op was in 2007 when there was a guy who went to New York because he'd heard about a co-op called Park Slope in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, I don't know where they got their inspiration from, but basically there they have a membership uh, run and membership owned co-op where they they buy uh, fruit and vegetables and meat and dairy and they have a lot of different products and then you buy it. So he was inspired by that. I think they have about 10,000 members. And so he said, why don't we do something like that in Copenhagen? And so slowly a group sort of formed around this idea in uh, in Copenhagen and then in 2008 officially the association Copenhagen Food Escape was, was created and there was about 30 members uh, who bought the first batch of vegetables from Svenholm, uh, which is an organic producer in Schiller. So that, that's how it started. So when you started, uh, I mean, how did you start? Did you just uh, talk to a few friends, sat down around a table? Did you yeah. include any producers? How did it work? Yeah, it was very much do-it-yourself. No one had been involved or knew anything about food courts from before. So it was very much uh, an amateur project. What was the main objectives? Because presumably, mm. I mean, even at that time, you could still buy organic food in a shop yeah. and yeah. Uh, even in supermarkets. So what was the thought behind it? Yeah. I would say there's sort of two main objectives or goals that's been driving the co-op from the beginning. One is to make organic, local food more affordable for people. It's a consumer co-op uh, and it's membership owned and it's membership run. The other purpose was also to say, actually, we, we want to support farmers who are growing organic or biodynamic local vegetables, so we also want to offer them a better price than what they are presently getting from supermarkets. Um, and we were also able to do that. 
So it wasn't only looking at the kind of making it affordable or, or viable for the members, it was also making, making it viable for the farmers. So we say we pay a fair price. Generally the farmers are very happy uh, also because we work very much with trust and building a longer term relationship so we can say we're gonna buy your vegetables for the next year or two years or three years and the farmers are very uh, uh, very happy about that because normally some a shop it can just change their agreement from one day to the next and then it's very hard to plan what how you're going to uh, plant and yeah so on. so so in essentially through this direct marketing to a group of consumers rather mm. than individual consumers you are offering from what i can understand like a stable market and a long-term mm. market So when you say it's consumer-owned mm. and consumer-run, yeah. does that mean then that the members, they work yeah. uh, within the co-op and does it men mean that they get some kind of, you share the net profit or how does it mm. work? The ownership part means that there's no ownership outside of the members, so there's no one taking out profits like in most food businesses. So let's say there is a profit. Let's say that you know we make more money from selling the vegetables than we spend. Then those money will be re reinvested into the co-op, either lowering prices in the next term or uh, developing the organization or sometimes also maybe in, in worthwhile projects in the community. Basically, all the resources that are generated, they stay within the, the the food co-op. Mm. And when I say it's, it's members run, that means that in order to be able to buy vegetables, you have to promise to put down three hours of work a month or more. Mm. Uh, some people put in more. Then you get the right to uh, buy a bag of vegetables every week. At an affordable price. Yeah. Uh, I could see from looking at, uh, at your web page that all the food that you provide is organic. Yeah. It's also local. Mm. What, how do you define local yeah. in your organization? Oh, in yeah, the it's, food it's something we discuss a lot. But so far, you can define it in terms of kilometers. And I know that one definition we had at one point was within 50 kilometers. Mm. Also, we're lucky to be on an island. So uh, that sets a kind of geographical boundary. So for a very long time, we would only take vegetables from within Shellen, from within that island. It's a continuous discussion of how close does it have to be to be local. And that would also very much depend on what you have, what you have an offer. At the moment, it's vegetables and fruit. Right? Yeah. So if you were to include corn and meat, for example, you might have to make that radius bigger. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. I see that you also have other activities. Like I see that you do sort of communal dinners or lunches and you incorporate celebration with yeah. music. Did I see some harvest celebration on, on one of the farms that provide food mm. to the co food co-op? So how, I mean, how does all that work and mm. how important is it for the function of the food co-op? Yeah, it, it's very important. So we sometimes say that uh, people come for the vegetables, but they stay around for the community. 
it's a trouble with translating it into English because the, the Danish word fellescape mm. is literally a community. So co-op is a kind of cold term. For a lot of, of people, it becomes a kind of community and it becomes a kind of family and you get to know people through it. Now we have about 2,000 members in Copenhagen which are active. There's lots of local departments. So you basically go and pick up vegetables in a, in a place nearby to you where all the other people who come and pick up vegetables also live nearby. So that means that you get to meet people from your general area or neighborhood, your part of Copenhagen. Every department will be organizing their own events and it's all on a voluntary basis. So, you know, one place they might do like a, a market or in, a, in another place they might uh, go and visit a farm. It is actually, for me, I think it's the most beautiful aspect of it is that it's become so much more than about the vegetables. It's, it's just as much about creating a sense of community and getting to know people in your area. Local food naturally lends itself to building community cohesion. By linking together farmers, consumers, and the earth, local food economies create webs of material interdependence that are not only good for communities, but also for our physical and mental health. And even better than simply buying local food is participating in local food production yourself. Gardening and small-scale farming have been linked to greater life expectancy, not least because those activities expose us to fresh air, strenuous but not too strenuous manual labor, and beneficial soil microbes. On a broader cultural level, promoting good stewardship of the land can go a long way towards addressing one of the root causes of the world's ecological crises, that is, the alienation of people from the rest of nature. As the writer and farmer Wendell Berry puts it, close, long-term interaction with the land turns on our affection for the living world. By bringing people closer to the source of their food, initiatives like the Copenhagen Food Co-op move us away from thinking of ourselves as spectators of nature, and instead invite us to think of ourselves as participants in nature. And that's a monumental shift in attitude for many people. And what about the vision? I mean, can the members agree? Because I understand yeah. that the members come from all walks of what life. Yeah. They come from the, both the left and the right wing of yeah. the political spectrum. We've come up with 10 principles. The 10 principles of the food court that we were able to agree upon are that it has to be grown and produced organic as locally as practically possible, that it's to be seasonal, and that it should support fair and direct trade, so no middlemen, mm -hmm. that it should be environmentally benign, that it should encourage knowledge about food and organic agriculture, mm -hmm. and that is uh, economically sustainable and independent from funds from outside, that it's uh, transparent and is building trust in all the change of production and distribution of the food system. It should be nearby and accessible and in that also affordable for most people and that it should be driven by a local working community. You hear, I mean, a lot of people criticizing both organic and local 
food uh, as being elitist. Mm. Is that something you hear in Denmark presently? Yes, it's very much part of the kind of mainstream debate about organic food. And I think it does have some merit, so organic food is still more expensive. Um, I guess it depends on whether you think that you know, more is expensive is elitist. You know, it's also, it's very different between households. How much money do you choose to spend on food? That varies, and even more so between countries. The Denmark is one of the countries in the world where people spend the smallest percentage of their income on food. So it's a quite a big topic, but it's very much, I would say, it's very much part of the, of the public discourse around why organic is sort of not bigger than it is, is that it's seen as too expensive. And so that is also why that we have affordable as a kind of central purpose of the, of the food co-op. At Local Futures, we talk quite a lot about why organic is more expensive we often try to point out that it's more expensive because industrial agriculture gets the large part of, of the subsidies mm. and, and so does fossil fuel which mm. industri industrial agriculture is mm. totally dependent on fossil fuels in a way what you see is a is a false comparison neither organic nor small scale or local mm. has that benefit if you're buying a, an apple that has been sprayed with pesticides coming from far away, you're not actually paying for the uh, poisoning in that area, you're not actually paying for the uh, CO2 that's being emitted and causing climate change and so on. As Anya and Jakob both said, the reason that local and organic food often gets labeled elitist is because the sticker price of non-local industrial food is kept artificially low through a combination of subsidies, some of them obvious, some of them less so. For one, there's the immense transportation and infrastructure network required to ship non-local food from place to place, and that gets paid for largely through taxpayer money. Then there's the high cost in energy involved, mostly fossil fuels. Like infrastructure projects, fossil fuels are also in large part taxpayer financed. The fossil fuel industry gets subsidized to the tune of about 5 trillion US dollars every year. On top of that, global agriculture subsidies total 1 million US dollars per minute, and only 1% of that is used to benefit the environment. In all these ways, agribusiness corporations are artificially propped up by your money, whether you like it or not. Imagine if the true, full cost of industrial food production were shouldered by corporations instead of taxpayers. Instantly, local food would become far less expensive to buy than food brought in from far away. Not so elitist, after all. You mentioned several times how the members have to work three mm. hours as a minimum. Now, what do you do? One of the most important things is the distribution the bags of uh, fruit and vegetables are picked up every Wednesday. We have to get the food from the distribution centre to the local departments. We have uh, teams, so you have a group that you are responsible to and that you work together with. We also have other uh, jobs which are more, you could say, social. So sometimes they'll be baking a cake and bringing it down to the food crop, that's a, that's a job. Then there's also more administrative things. So for a while, for example, I wasn't able to uh, to 
to work on Wednesdays, so I uh, helped out with the uh, web page. Do you have any paid staff at all? Yeah, we do now. We've grown to such an amount of members that it was becoming difficult to run the organisation with the organisational form that had been created for 30 members. Yeah, so I should say like so from 2008 and then in the next three years, you know, we grew from, uh, from 30 members to 3,000 members, so more than 100 times more. And so that was a, a big organisational challenge. And it was also became clear that it's very difficult to run an organization like that only using volunteering. Last year, we decided to hire two members. The one to be an accountant to make sure that the financial part was okay. And the other one to be a volunteer coordinator who would do all the things that is boring or annoying or simply wouldn't get done if someone wasn't paid to do it. So you also do, I see, food workshops, did I see that, mm. and visit farm visits? I think actually most years there's been a trip to Svenholm, which is one of the biggest uh, producers, where we go and stay and meet the farmers and see how, how they work and get to know them, and that's a very popular thing to do. What, what do you consider to have been sort of your, your greatest uh, successes or the biggest benefits? Mm of the food cop and what do you think have been the biggest challenges? Mm. For me the biggest success has been showing actually that it is possible if you bring people together and if you gather around a, a simple single purpose which in this instance is organic local seasonally produced food that it's actually possible to do all of that work using only voluntary labour. I think it was a, for me it was a big lesson and, and it, it gives me a lot of hope for the future and for what's possible. And so for me the, the, the social aspect and the working together and the community aspect is, is actually what's for me is the, the biggest success. That we can work together, the, the kind of necessary decision to say okay at this scale we might need to pay someone but still, it's um, people who've been in the organisation from the very beginning and that doesn't bother me and I feel it's, uh, it's a very good kind of continuation of the spirit of how it began. So that would be the biggest success. The biggest challenge has definitely been, we, in the beginning we always said that we're building the airplane as we're flying and the, the challenges that come along with that might not, in reality that might... <laughs> <laughs> not be actually physically possible to do it and sometimes we, we have found that it, it hasn't been possible and we have had a lot of members coming in trying to be part and leaving uh, within one or two months because it was too difficult to understand the organization and how to be a part of it. Did I see that you now have something, a kind of toolkit and some training for, mm. for, for new uh, departments or units within Copenhagen? Yes. Yeah, so Start is this kind of toolkit so that you basically, the idea is that you can take that and then start your own food cop. And actually I think, to answer your question before about the success, I think that's one of the great successes is that now we've seen it's hard to keep count but now I think there's more than 22 food co-ops in the rest of Denmark 
just within the last uh, five years, which are completely inspired by that model, but they're doing things in a dynamic way. They're doing it slightly different com based on their local place. And so it's just growing. They will then be able to get this kind of starting toolkit so they don't have to kind of invent it over. And mm -hmm. we're also working on having a common IT system so that a, like membership system or payments for the vegetables or things like that can be automated and so that every um, every food crop in Denmark doesn't have to fund their own and come up with it because that's one of the things that's very expensive to do. Uh -huh. Did you get any funding from outside? Because I noticed you said yeah. before that one yeah. of your principles is not to be dependent on funding from outside. Yeah, so we, we've defined it so that we don't want to get money for the maintenance or the kind of everyday or the day-to-day work of the food crop but we do apply and get funding for projects so like the development of the IT or the the start kit the toolkit and uh, we have gotten funding for that but the idea is that getting that funding is not kind of essential to the running of the food crop and so you'll be sharing you say you're sharing the toolkit with others it's inspiring others yeah. to set up their own food clip and so the IT system you would share it with them as yeah, well. Yeah, so that would be open source. It sounds like that the Copenhagen food co-op or rather food community mm. is pioneering this in Denmark mm. and making it much easier for others to jump on the wagon. Starting a food co-op is a hugely significant way to contribute to building a more robust local food system. Around the world, the number of examples is growing day by day, and we've documented many of them on our website. Agricultural co-ops have been set up to conserve water, uphold the labor rights of farm workers, combat food deserts, challenge the influence of supermarkets, and conduct community outreach and agricultural education programs. What's truly special is when multiple co-ops come together to form a unified local economic ecosystem. For example, the Tosepan Cooperative Network in Mexico's Sierra Norte region supplies nearly all basic needs for members, from food and healthcare to financial services, decentralized renewable energy, and natural building materials. So, any recommendation, last-minute recommendations? I think the one thing that I would say is, in permaculture you have this principle of uh, obtain a yield. So in order to en engage people, you need to show them how they are benefiting from it, how they are obtaining a yield. And I think I've been involved in lots of projects which have failed, and there I can see the reason that they failed and the reason Copenhagen Food Co-op succeeded was that people are not only in it for the good of society or for the good of the whole, they're also in it because they see that they benefit from it directly. And uh, then, obviously, you know, they also like all the positive effects that it has. Find some people uh, and begin it and do it in a way so that it's fun and enjoyable and so that people can see how they are benefiting from getting the food and also from being part of the community. Very inspiring. Thank you very much for saying, Jakob. Uh, if anyone wants to know more about the Copenhagen Food Co-op, 
they can presumably look on the website? Yeah, um, they can uh, look at the website and uh, there's people who also will know much more about particular details of it than I do so and their, their contact is available on the website. Thank you. You can find a link to the Copenhagen Food Co-op website and to the Ökostar toolkit for starting a local food co-op in the description for this episode. We've also linked to the Planet Local section of our website, localfutures.org, which contains lots of examples of various kinds of agricultural cooperatives and other grassroots local food projects. While you're on our website, you can also subscribe to the Local Bites podcast and listen to or download other episodes. As always, please email info at localfutures.org if you have ideas for other people or topics that we should feature on the show. Until next time, thanks for listening to Local Bites.